Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of our Seven Investing Podcast. I'm Seven Investing founder and CEO Simon Erickson, and I'm excited today to talk about digital advertising. This is a massive market. It's $370 billion globally, and it's growing at double digit rates. And you're already familiar with the largest players in the space, Alphabet and Facebook. But more and more, publishers, who are the companies who own the websites or the audio podcasts or the software applications, are working directly with advertisers through programmatic auctions to place ads on their site. I'm really excited to welcome my guest today. Rajiv Goel is the co-founder and CEO of Pubmatic. Pubmatic is a publicly traded company that's participating in this space. Their ticker is P-U-B-M. Hey, Rajiv, I'm really excited to chat with you again here on the 7 Investing Podcast. Hey, Simon. Great to be back with you again. Rajiv, let me, uh, let me start at the 10,000-foot level here, because you and I actually spoke earlier this year. We spoke back in June, and I'd encourage everybody to look over that conversation. kind of lays out kind of the, the table of what programmatic advertising means, what a supply-side or sell-side platform is. Uh, but I'd really like to pick up where we left off from that conversation. Because you are moving in a very, very fast-paced industry. And there's a lot going on in just the last five months or so that we spoke. Let me start you at the 10,000 foot. Uh, as somebody who lives this every day, what do you think are the biggest changes taking place in digital advertising today? Well, we have a couple of, I would say, macro-level changes that are happening. First is people are spending a lot more time on the internet than they did prior to the pandemic. <clears throat> so I think all of your, all of your listeners uh, can, uh, you know, can, can reflect on their own time over the last 18 months and just think about how much more digital media consumption is there, how many more things that we used to do in the offline world are we doing online, right? Things like banking, uh, buying groceries, right? Uh, senior doctor, all of these types of things. So there's a really an elevated level of digital consumption. And we don't think that's going to change, right? After 18 months of, of uh, what everybody's been through, I think that those, those behaviors are going to stick. So that I would say is, is first and foremost, there's just a lot more demand for, for our, our types of products and services. <clears throat> I think the second uh, macro trend is that the nature of advertising in the digital environment is shifting to much more uh, video-oriented advertising. So we're all you know, consuming more streaming TV, more streaming content, we're watching more videos, right? Short clips, long clips, all of that. Uh, and so that's a, real, that's a really strong brand advertising opportunity uh, because when you're watching a video, obviously it's very natural to put a 10 second, 20 second ad you know, at the beginning of that or at the end of that and brand advertisers you know, really uh, enjoy that, that opportunity. I think the third uh, key trend is around consumer uh, information and privacy regulations, right? And so there's a, a huge shift underway <clears throat> around the technology that's used to deliver relevant ads to consumers. And the good news is that consumers now have a lot more voice and a lot more choice into how their information is being used to deliver relevant ads to them. And they didn't have that, they didn't have a voice in that process before. And I think consumers have gotten a lot smarter in the last couple of years uh, about the fact that their information is being used uh, and so that's really creating a lot of change in the ecosystem around how do we how do we generate uh, uh, relevant ads. Let me double click on that one, Rajiv. That's that's a topic I'd love to chat more about because we keep talking about the deprecation, the third party cookie, and everybody's got kind of new ideas on how to identify people on the internet in a less invasive way. We've talked about Google has got federated learning of cohorts as one option, and we've talked a lot about Universal ID 2.0 that the Trade Desk has out there seems like there's not a generally accepted uh, approach for, for how to track behavior on the internet. But what are your thoughts about kind of the identity aspect of, of the bigger equation out there? 
Yeah, so you're exactly right. And, you know, the technologies you mentioned are some of the, the key technologies that the industry is transitioning towards, perhaps, right? And the key there is that we're still figuring it out, right? And so what, what is happening is these anonymized methods uh, of tracking individuals, again, where the individual had no voice uh, in how their information was being used, those are going away. So that's the deprecation of the cookie that you mentioned. Uh, in the last couple of months, Apple also uh, got rid of what's called the ID for advertising or IDFA. And so you saw that you know, affect a number of companies. Uh, and as that transition happens away from those types of uh, targeting mechanisms, there's a whole uh, uh, variety, new portfolio of different mechanisms that the industry is, is very much figuring out. Uh, and we've been innovating in this area for a couple of years now. And we have a couple of products, Identity Hub and Audience Encore. I won't get into the weeds, you know, of, of what exactly those things do, uh, but we are partners with folks like Trade Desk, other great companies like LiveRamp, uh, Newstar, uh, Google with their federated uh, uh, learning cohorts. Um, so we're we're at the forefront of innovation in this area, and I think that's one of the key breakouts in our earnings release from earlier this week. You know, where we demonstrated 54% year-over-year revenue growth. And a key part of that is we, we kind of grew right through that Apple uh, IDFA change. Uh, we were able to demonstrate that because of our innovation, uh, the publishers that we work with are generating you know, more revenue than ever before, uh, th thanks to deploying some of those solutions that I mentioned earlier. So even though there's a lot of uncertainty about the technology itself, is Pubmatic as a sell-side platform that represents the publishers, are you going to be able to just adapt with whichever way the industry goes in this? Yeah, that's exactly what we're planning for is not only to adapt, but actually to lead the industry. Uh, and we think there are great opportunities to do exactly that. You know, digital advertising is a is a very dynamic industry. It's constantly evolving. Uh, and we're at the forefront of evolving, you know, both on the consumer privacy front, but also how to deliver a more relevant ad to the consumer. And we see actually great opportunity as things like the cookie and, and the IDFA go away. Uh, to actually uh, create a better foundation that respects consumer privacy and delivers more relevant ads. And I think as we do that, what we see in our, in our own business is that the utilization of our infrastructure actually goes up, which drives more revenue and more profitability, while our publishers generate more revenue in, in the process. I do want to chat about that infrastructure a little later on. So to be continued on that conversation, but you mentioned Apple, right? We've got the iOS 14.5 update uh, where users can actually opt out on, on iPhone devices or any mobile devices from seeing personalized ads. This is kind of a transition, right? Away from the IDFA, like you mentioned, but are you, are you seeing in the first couple of months that that's been out there, that people are opting out or what's the bigger impact of, of the moves that Apple are, are is taking right now to protect user privacy? Yeah, so what, what we have seen is generally there's there's been uh, reports across the industry that about 20% of people opt in uh, to receiving targeted ads, you know, relevant ads uh, via, via apps in the Apple ecosystem. Um, now, in our business, we are working with the largest publishers uh, in the world, the most premium publishers. So these are publishers like eBay or Zynga or News Corp. And so... Uh, consumers tend to trust those brands at a much higher level. Uh, and so we see opt-in rates that are almost double uh, that industry standard. Uh, and so what that means is that, you know, ad dollars, ad budgets, those haven't shrunk, right? Those ad budgets are only growing as consumers spend more time online. And so those budgets are, are going after and chasing a smaller pool of ad impressions in the Apple iOS environment, 
where people have opted in for, for relevant ads. Uh, and so because we have a disproportionate share of those opted in ad impressions, we're able to generate more revenue for our publishers. The other thing that we've seen is that, you know, Apple is not the only mobile app platform in the world, right? Of course, there's Android. Uh, and then when you get outside of the US, you know, there's many other uh, uh, device manufacturers with significant scale. Uh, and so what we're seeing is that there's been a big shift for advertisers into those other app environments. You know, Android monetization, for instance, is on the way, uh, is on the way up uh, as a result, right? So, so advertisers are simply able to say, hey, iOS is one of 10 digital channels that I advertise in. I've got other app environments, I've got mobile web, I've got CTV, I've got desktop display inventory. So I have a, a wide choice of where I put my ad budgets. Uh, and so those budgets aren't shrinking. Uh, you know, think about it as water flowing downhill. If you put a rock in its way, you know, the water's still gonna get downhill, it'll just find a, a different path. And the large publishers you're working with, like the CBS, you know, obviously reporting the news, um, Zynga creating games, for the 20% of people that are opting in, to see ads, is there some kind of benefit that those publishers are giving the people that, that do opt in? Is there some kind of special content or something exclusive if you do opt in and say, I'm okay with this? Yeah, I think in many cases, publishers are developing, you know, use cases or, you know, scenarios or journeys for consumers through those apps uh, where they do get a benefit, right? And it could be in a game, you know, maybe it remembers uh, the level that you left off at or, you know, points or something that you won uh, or in a utility app, it remembers your settings. Uh, and then the other benefit for the consumer is there is going to be an ad in that app, right? That's how, that's the funding equation of an app, uh, right? Uh, the consumer gets free content in exchange uh, for the app developer developing that app. The, the consumer is going to see an ad. The benefit is that the consumer gets a more relevant ad. I actually find the, the thing that's most annoying is when I get an ad that you know, has nothing to do with something that I'm interested in, right? Uh, so, you know, I think as a consumer, we want actually the, the most relevant ads are like content, right? If I'm in market for a car, if I get a car offer, you know, a lease or something else, you know, that, that's relevant for the type of car that I'm looking for, that's actually great information. It's great content. So I think it's important for consumers to keep in mind that, you know, when you're consuming free content, it's free because it's ad supported. And there's somebody on the other side, like yourself, right? that is developing that content. And the way you pay for it is, is often through advertising and, and that's okay. Uh, and so a more relevant ad I think is a, is a positive. Yeah, sounds, sounds really good for the conversion funnel when you're actually being better, better targeted to the people that might wanna buy those products, great point. Exactly. Uh, Rajiv, let's talk a little bit about Pubmatic's most recent quarter that you re reported. On full disclosure, I am a Pubmatic shareholder, um, but I thought the results were, were very, very good. Like you mentioned earlier, your revenue was up 54% your net dollar-based retention rate was 157%, and your adjusted EBITDA margins 42%. Rajiv, you knocked it out of the park on a whole lot of different things. As the leader of this company, though, what in the results this quarter are you the most proud of? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, as you said, we we had a great uh, great quarter, uh, and the thing I would highlight is that it wasn't just one quarter. So, in fact, this last quarter was our fourth consecutive quarter of. 50% uh, or more year-over-year -year revenue growth and 30% plus adjusted EBITDA margins. So, you know, as, as an investor, we often talk about rule of 40, right, which is the revenue growth rate plus the, the profit margin. And if, you know, if you're at a combined metric of 40, that's great. 
you know, we're in the 80, 90, you know, 95 uh, level, you know, for, for multiple uh, consecutive quarters. It's also the, the third uh, time this year we've raised our guidance. You know, so we've done three earnings reports uh, and every time we've, we've raised our guidance for the year. Um, but now back to your question, what, what am I most proud of? I'm, I think I'm most proud of really two things. One is that 157% you know, net dollar retention metric that you mentioned. And what that means is that a customer who did a dollar of business with us a year ago uh, is now doing a dollar and 57 cents, right? And so that's a clear demonstration that our platform is, is working for our customers. Uh, and that's really important because we have a usage-based model, right? And a usage-based model uh, is you know, now uh, more and more known among uh, software investors as really having the highest growth uh, potential. And the reason is that as our customers use our platform more, uh, our revenue is not limited. We, you know, we participate uh, in, in, that, uh, uh, in that growth. The second thing uh, that I would call out that I'm really most proud of is actually our hiring uh, metrics. So I think a key part of our success over the long run is our culture. Uh, and key to our culture is uh, that we put the employee experience front and center. Uh, so I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, if, if the people on the Pomatic team wake up every morning and they're excited, you know, to, to get to work, you know, get to work maybe in their home or could be in, in, in an office, depending on where they are in the world. Uh, but they're excited to get to work because they're going to work on interesting problems. They've got the, you know, tools and resources that they need. They have great colleagues that they can learn from. Uh, then we're going to do great, right? They're, we're going to build great products. Our customers are going to use those products more, uh, and our shareholders and investors will benefit from that. Uh, and so, you know, we hired, uh, I think it was a record number of people for us uh, uh, so far this year, around 300 people uh, new coming onto the team. And, you know, onboarding people in, in a pandemic is not easy, right? It's a lot of remote onboarding, trying to build trust, communication, all of those things. Uh, so I'm really proud of, of the efforts our team has made in, in that area. Fantastic job, Rajiv. Win, win, win all across the board on a lot of those. Uh, one other metric we haven't chatted about yet is connected TV growth. This is kind of one of the newer platforms for programmatic advertising. As you're seeing these linear TV budgets move programmatic, happening through algorithms now. Uh, you guys septupled your CTV revenue in year-over-year -year comparisons. I want to double-click on that and, and ask how that's possible. Are we starting from a small base here? Did you land a really, really large customer? Should we get used to seeing 7x increases year over year? What, what's going on with you guys in CTV? Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, CTV is a really exciting and new market. We estimate it's about a $35 billion addressable market in 2025. And you know, again, as you said, really what's happening is consumers are shifting how they watch you know, TV, how they consume streaming content, right? We're going from linear TV to more digital apps, digital streaming. And that can happen on a uh, TV hanging on your wall, can also happen, of course, on a, on a tablet or a, or a mobile device. And as those consumers are shifting, advertisers, of course, need to shift with them uh, in order to, uh, to engage with, with consumers in, in the environments that they're in. Uh, and so we saw this opportunity a couple of years ago and we built out a team about two years ago, uh, and, and we built out a team focused on building new product. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk about that product in just a second. Uh, and then we brought that product to market last year. Um, and so, you know, we started ramping that up, uh, and we're up to now 154 publishers in Q3 uh, that are, you know, using that product. That's up from zero, uh, you know, a little over a year ago. Uh, we started the year at around 118 uh, publishers. So, you know, it's a pretty, pretty quick ramp. 
And the reason you see that 7x growth is that our approach is really a, a, a unique approach to monetizing uh, that CTV inventory. We're building the infrastructure for the future. And we think in the future, what's going to be needed uh, is really a bidded environment, uh, which means instead of manually sold insertion orders, which is the old way of, of selling advertising, uh, an auction-based approach makes a lot of sense. And the reason we think an auction-based approach makes sense is if you think about TV and you think about connected TV and streaming TV, it's a pretty different ballgame in that you have a lot more apps and channels in the digital connected TV world, and you have tens of thousands, probably eventually hundreds of thousands of advertisers. Whereas, you know, if you've, if you've watched TV lately, it's the same, you know, several hundred to 1,000 advertisers, right? It's pharma companies, it's automotive companies, you know, it's some, some of the biggest brands out there. But the beauty of digital is that actually small and medium businesses, uh, large advertisers, small advertisers, all different types of advertisers uh, can participate. And the only way to, I think, efficiently run that kind of a, uh, environment is through an auction. Uh, and so we've built what we think is the uh, really the bidded marketplace of the future, um, and it's a it's an evolution and it's a transition. So not not everybody is is stampeding towards it overnight, uh, but you see in the seven x growth that we're we are seeing good growth, uh, and we think it's going to be a, a significant part of the business in in the years ahead. That is fantastic, Rajiv. Could you comment at all about what the the ad rates you're seeing on CTV are? Uh, cost per thousand impressions and, and how that kind of compares to digital ads or, or podcast audio ads? Yeah, so the, the in the CTV space, it's probably the most premium, uh, you know, ad, ad inventory. Uh, and so the CPMs can be anywhere from $20 to upwards of $100, $150. Uh, so, so, yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Per, per thousand. That's exactly right. Uh, uh, CPM. Uh, and so th that's a pretty significant, you know, obviously uh, pricing. Uh, in contrast, you know, uh, podcast ads are typically in the high single dollars, uh, you know, single digit dollars to, to maybe teens. Uh, and then a, 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 a traditional display ad, right? So that banner that you've seen, you know, when you're, you're reading the news or something on, on your laptop, uh, that'll typically sell for something like $2. Um, so you can see, you know, how valuable that, that CTV inventory is. Uh, and, and part of the reason why I think that's great uh, for it to have that high value is the higher the value, the lower the ad load, meaning the less ads a consumer needs to see, uh, because that way then a content creator can recoup the investment needed to create the content you know, that, that consumers want to see. That makes a lot of sense. Your revenue model is usage-based. You win right along with your customers because if they're actually placing ads, you guys are taking a percentage of that. Certainly a higher uh, ad rate in CTV is a, is a benefit for both of those. Uh, Rajiv, we're seeing a lot of uh, competitive activity in CTV. Everybody wants to go where the money is for obvious reasons, uh, but we've seen a lot of your competitors kind of go out and aggressively acquire other companies to try to get uh, the CTV opportunity to get their market share higher. We haven't seen that, at least yet, with, with Pubmatic. It seems like you guys are going at this organically so far. Like you mentioned, your own product that you developed last year. Do you have any plans of looking to acquire into CTV, or do you want to continue on the path that you're on right now? Yeah, well, we, you know, we've, uh, we, we are constantly evaluating the market for M&A opportunities. Could be CTV or it could be other things. Uh, and the way we think about it is, you know, we're, we're very open to technology opportunities that accelerate our roadmap. Uh, and so, you know, if there's something, you know, that we're building and we think, hey, it's going to take us two or three years and we can pull that time frame forward, we're very open to that. 
It could also be something that takes us into a new geographic market where we don't have presence today. Uh, so there's, I think, a couple of uh, different vectors of where M&A could, could make sense. That being said, you know, I'll go back to the comments I made about culture. You know, we, we prize our culture very much. Uh, and I think we also uh, are quite strong at technological innovation. You know, if you look at our, our track record uh, of success, high growth, high profitability, and we're organically innovating and creating uh, all of the products uh, that are in our portfolio today. Um, so we have a pretty high bar then for M&A, right? So something's got to be, you know, I think really special uh, and really compelling for us to, to move forward on that basis. Uh, but we're very open to, to any of those opportunities. Perfect. And a question that we received actually from uh, someone following our seven investing audience on Twitter was asking, how do you define your addressable market? Uh, what percentage market share do you have? And just to provide a prompt for that, I saw a recent comment from you that you said that you thought you were at about two to three percent market share in terms of non-walled garden programmatic advertising at the time of your IPO. Where do you think Pubmatic stands in the bigger picture right now? Yeah, so we, we define our, our addressable market uh, as programmatic advertising. Uh, that sits outside of the walled gardens, right? And walled gardens are, you know, companies like Google and, and Facebook and others. And we think that's about a 40 to $50 billion industry. And that's growing somewhere in the, in the uh, low single, sorry, low double digits, you know, 10 to 15% year over year. Uh, again, this year has been more elevated, you know, probably north of 20% given some of the, the COVID uh, dynamics. Uh, and so, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, when, when we went public, which was uh, almost a year ago, about 11 months ago, we estimated we had about a 2 to 3% share of the market. Uh, so, you know, pretty small, uh, but our goal is to grow our share of the market by 10x in the years ahead. Uh, so we think there's a long, you know, runway of opportunity, a lot of growth uh, ahead of us uh, as that market continues to grow. So I think, you know, if I look, you know, five, seven years out, it's probably a 75 to $90 billion market opportunity. Uh, and we think we could be a, you know, double digit uh, market share player in, in not too long. You're doing a fantastic job. Congratulations on the execution already, even since being a publicly traded company now. Uh, let's double click on something else that you mentioned earlier, which was about you own your own infrastructure. That's a different approach than a lot of the other players are doing out there. Um, you guys have data centers all across the world. Why did you choose to go this path rather than working with an Amazon Web Services or a Google that, that's taking care of all the hosting, all the infrastructure for you? Yeah, the, absolutely. The conventional thinking, I think, you know, certainly in the U.S. and around the world is to use public cloud providers, right? The, the kind that you, you just mentioned. Uh, but we think that digital advertising is quite unique. And it's unique in two ways. One is transactions have to be processed in a fraction of a second. So when a consumer is, you know, looking at content, they don't want to wait for the ad to show up, that ad you know, needs to be there and it needs to provide a high quality experience. Uh, so real time is, is number one. Number two is there's a lot of data that's generated. There's data about the consumer, as we talked about earlier, there's data about the website or the app uh, that the consumer is looking at. And then there's data from the advertisers, who's bidding, at what price points, what kind of ad are they trying to show? Uh, and so on our platform, we're processing well over 200 billion ad impressions per day we generate about three petabytes uh, of data on a daily basis uh, from over a trillion advertiser bids each day. So just, you know, staggering kinds of, of numbers. Um, and so we think that by owning our own infrastructure, because of those unique dynamics of real time and data intensive, we're able to generate better outcomes for our customers uh, and we're able to do it far more efficiently. Uh, so in terms of better outcomes, 
When we own the infrastructure, we own the network, the hardware, and the software layer, right? So if you think about what's in a data center, right? There's networking equipment to connect you to other parties, buyers, advertisers, the consumer. There's hardware that the software is going to run on. And then, you know, there's our, our software that, that's running. When you're in public cloud, you only control the software, right? The hardware and the network is provided by somebody else. Uh, so I, I liken it to, you know, you're, you're, you're fighting a battle and you've got, you know, two legs and a, uh, and a hand tied behind your back, right? If you're in public cloud. So why wouldn't you want to also have control over the network and the hardware layers so that you could speed things up, you could process things more efficiently, you can process more data. Um, and so we, we made this shift about 10 years ago in our business uh, to own our own infrastructure. And I got to say that, you know, it's obviously paid off very well. And again, you can see it in terms of the quality of the outcomes we provide our customers. That's in our net dollar retention rate, 157%. Uh, and then you can see the efficiency in terms of our EBITDA margins, uh, as well as our net income and our operating cash flow, right? So we, we've got, uh, you know, 10 to 20% uh, net income margins. You know, we talked about the, the EBITDA margins over 40% last quarter, but uh, over 30% for four quarters in a row now. Uh, and we're generating significant cash. So you can see, you know, how it's a very efficient, uh, efficient play. So I, you know, I think you get better outcomes and you create more efficiency. I mean, that's really the best of both worlds. Could you speak a little bit more, Rajiv, about the, the outcomes and the insights that you're getting out of that? I understand the processing part of it. You want the, the bids and the auctions to take place as quickly as possible, no doubt about that. But are you learning more about what's winning the bids for customers and that's improving or optimizing over time? Yeah, so I'll give you a couple of examples of this. So uh, in terms of better outcomes, you know, so we, we have a, a, what's called a private connection between our uh, equipment in different data centers and some of the buyers that are bidding into our platform. And when we create that private connection, you can think about it like it's like the carpool lane on the highway, right? So instead of the traffic flowing on the regular road, we have a special lane that's only for us. Uh, and so that means we can get more bids back for each ad impression. And if you can get more bids in an auction-based environment, basic economic theory is you're gonna have higher liquidity, higher pricing. That means our publishers are gonna get more, more revenue. So that's one example. Another example is that, that on that data processing front, uh, so again, we have petabytes of data that are being created on a daily basis on our platform through all of these impressions that, that we're auctioning. Uh, and of course, you can create better outcomes if you're able to process and analyze more data, right? And this could be data about what are the bidding patterns for you know, buyers so you can uh, suggest pricing to them, uh, who might be interested in a particular ad impression, what type of ad might be most relevant to a particular consumer. So if we're able to squeeze the processing time down. We have about 150 milliseconds when an ad hits our platform, right? So think about it as a, as a race. If we can squeeze the processing time down to a smaller subset of that 150 milliseconds, then we have more time left to analyze the data, right? And if we have more time to analyze the data, then we can probably get to a better outcome. Uh, now, if our competitors are taking more time in processing because they don't own the network and they don't own the hardware, they have less time to process the data. So they're able to you know, do less intelligent things. Uh, and so we think, again, that by owning the infrastructure, uh, we're able to drive better outcomes because we're able to analyze and process more data for each and every ad impression on our platform. 
Fantastic, Rajiv. Well, we've chatted about quite a bit. We talked about the quarterly results. Again, looked fantastic, 150% dollar-based retention rates. We talked about kind of the top-line growth of digital advertising. We talked about the CTV opportunity. My last question for you is open-ended for investors who are interested in uh, getting access to digital advertising, or interested in this space. Are there a couple of things that we should be watching? Anything we didn't discuss particularly on this call, but anything else you're kind of focused on in the next couple of years? Yeah, I think the, the main thing I would say is that the industry is really consolidating down uh, to fewer larger platforms. And I think we see that in, in a variety of subsectors within digital advertising. Uh, but as a result of a variety of different trends, so we talked a little bit about privacy regulation earlier. Uh, there's also uh, a shift towards more efficiency broadly. You know, as, as fast as digital advertising is growing, the dollars are getting so big for some of the largest advertisers and agencies that they want to make sure that their operations are, are very efficient. Uh, and so as a result of, of a variety of these different trends, what we see is that the industry is consolidating at a rapid rate. And I think the, uh, the smart investors out there, as they do their research, uh, it should be pretty straightforward to identify, you know, who are the companies, what are the management teams, what are the platforms, who are the technology innovators that they think are going to be around, you know, five, 10 years from now. Uh, and I think that's a useful way to analyze the market and decide, okay, who, who should I invest in and, and who should I bet on? Well, once again, Rajiv Goel is the co-founder and CEO of Pubmatic. Ticker on that is P-U-B-N, a leader in the sell side and a sell side platform in the digital advertising space. Really a fascinating conversation. So great to catch up with you again, Rajiv. Thanks for being a part of our seven investing podcast today. Thanks, Simon. Great to be with you again. Really enjoyed it. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in to this episode. Once again, we are here to empower you to invest in your future. We are 7invest. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.